You are listening to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, the subject of this week's episode is going to be Scotland. The SNP have gathered for their annual conference and Nicola Sturgeon has rallied the SNP troops ahead of what might be a very interesting period in Scottish politics, because of course it's been so boring in the last few years, not. Um, there's lots of big strategic questions that have come up coming up uh, related to Scotland. Will there be another vote on Scottish independence? It's obviously the number one uh, question on everybody's lips as a result of Brexit. We're going to be talking about that today. We're also going to be looking at the current Westminster voting intention polls in Scotland as well. Um, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that one of the main reasons the Tories are still in power in Westminster is because of the performance of the Tories uh, north of the border at the last general election. But can that be replicated or will the Tories find it very hard uh, to win re-election whenever the next general election comes about without significantly improving in England? presumably, of course, to uh, compensate for doing worse in Scotland. We're going to be looking at some of those um, questions as well. And of course, as ever with this podcast, we can't um, talk about polls and uh, what's going on in politics too much without talking about Brexit. So we're going to be looking at attitudes to Brexit in Scotland and how that feeds into both the question of independence and Westminster voting intention as well. And to discuss all of these issues, I was joined by an expert in Scottish politics, Mark Diffley. Um, Mark Diffley, formerly of Ipsos Bory, uh, now uh, has set up his own um, consultancy, a political consultancy in Scotland, a very experienced um, researcher on all things in Scottish politics. Delighted to be joined by Mark this week, um, and we talked about a number of these issues I just mentioned. I started off by asking Mark what the atmosphere was like at the SNP conference this week. Uh, I would say uh, it's pretty pretty decent, actually, um, not least because of the uh, some of the polling that came out just before uh, just before the conference um, at the weekend. Um, some of which I'm sure we, we will come on to talk about in a few moments. But I I, I think yeah, pretty good. They're not as um, they're not as riven, particularly by Brexit, as some of the uh, as some of the UK parties are. They do have some Brexit issues, but they're not as um, they're not certainly as divisive as they are in some of the other parties. So there is that kind of mood of unity um, that I think pervades uh, the party at the moment. It's not a party without uh, problems and issues. But I think, broadly speaking, over the three days, uh, they will be pretty pleased, both with um, the kind of state of play um, as they come into as they came into the conference and um, how it went as well. So I'm interested in the SNP sort of conferences. I, I've never been to one, but I suppose right. from, from, from a from a southerner, if you like, or from from a, yeah. someone in England, um, <laughs> you, you could be you, you could fall into the trap of considering them to be something of a single interest party, right? Because of the independence question. But of course, yeah. they're, they're they're in government in Scotland as well, right? So yeah, what, what's what's the dominant topic there? Is it still independence? I mean, what are people talking about in the bars and restaurants and things? Yeah, I, I mean, it is overwhelmingly, and um, it, it is about independence, and not least about the, the, the timing of another uh, of another independence referendum, and when the first minister will uh, make that call or attempt to make that call. I mean, you're right. It's it, not only is it a party in government; it's a party that's been in government for 11 years, um, which, um, by normal kind of uh, polling rules, would mean that it's in uh, it would be in uh, dec- natural decline. Uh, the polling would sort of suggest uh, the polling would sort of suggest otherwise at this stage. So it, it, you know there are ways in which it doesn't really give off um, it doesn't really give off the vibe of having been uh, having been in government for for eleven years. 
I mean, you're right. Independence in the Constitution is still the key issue here. But actually, we are becoming different. And Scotland is becoming different uh, to the rest of the UK in many kind of profound ways without independence. We have tax devolution now. We're having, you know, we're sort of setting up our own welfare state. There are quite a few behavioural issues where, you know, the, the legislation is different in Scotland to how it is in England. So the constitution still remains uh, front, uh, at the forefront um, of most people's thoughts. But, you know, there are other things. There's a, there's a different domestic agenda in many ways um, to, what there is, to what there is down south. Sure. Um, and that 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 kind of definitely um, was definitely apparent this week. So we'll get onto the polling in a moment because that's what we do, sure. as it were. As it were. Mm-hmm. Um, but but, yeah. what, but what about Nicola Sturgeon's um, speech? I mean, the, the message I was receiving was it was one of you know stay patient. Was that was that kind of the message she was trying to give off? Yeah, I think it was in terms of another uh, independence referendum. I think there was really kind of three things, three kind of takeaways from the SNP conference uh, this week. Um, there is now pretty certain that there's not going to be another referendum this side of the next Scottish Parliament elections in 2021. I'd be very, very surprised. And she get, without actually having said that in direct terms, uh, the First Minister very much prepared the ground with members, those at conference, that that was going to be the case. As you say, patience uh, was very much the theme of her speech. Patience and persuasion, carry on persuading. As she said it, those that still aren't persuaded. Um, and carry on with the passion. I mean, there was a big rally in Edinburgh um, at the weekend, and in a pro-independence rally with tens of thousands of people. So there is still a movement uh, on the ground. And the issue for her has always been uh, keeping keeping those uh, people uh, happy um, and not feeling like they've, they're being neglected uh, and balancing that with the sort of political and polling realities, which mean that, you know, it would be fairly foolish, I think, at this stage to, to push for a second independence referendum. So that's, that's, that's the first thing. The second was that the party has now changed its stance on a second um, EU referendum, and it is now formally and unconditionally behind a second EU uh, referendum and would instruct its MPs in Westminster to vote that way if that, you know, as and when that, uh, that issue comes up. Now, that is, a, that is a tweak of policy because before the conference, she had been fairly sort of agnostic on a second, you know, well, if one happens, we won't stand in its way. Uh, and the tone of that has, has changed now quite so what, what do you think what do you think's changed that because I suppose if you were being cynical um, and i wouldn 't dream of being mm-hmm. cynical in politics you, you, you would <laughs> you would suggest that um it's in it 's in the s m p s interest for brexit to go ahead right because uh then yeah. then you know that that 's the that 's the material change or whatever the phrase is used that might lead to independence yeah and i I absolutely agree with that and i I must admit <laughs> when i um this this emerged on Sunday, so the first day of the conference and uh, the first minister gave an interview with Ma, and this 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 emerged from that interview. Uh, I must admit, I was left scratching my head because not only uh, not only because of the point you made, but also I'm not sure it's really from a kind of just a pure polling point of view. I mean, we know that around somewhere between 25 and 30 percent of yes support, you know, yes supporters from 2014 voted to leave the EU, um, and I'm not sure it's kind of that smart 
uh, from that point of view, to be doing something that may risk alienating them further from your ultimate goal of independence. So it did seem like an odd move to make from that point of view. But presumably she thinks they're yes voters regardless, right? And then... Well, that's and that's and that's the calculation. I think the calculation is that, um, yeah, okay, they they they're not going to be particularly happy with her. But when another independence referendum comes along, they will, uh, they will kind of kind of fall into line. Um, and I think there is there is some evidence in the polls. I think that to support that. I also think that they sort of strategically they're not sure another a second EU referendum is actually going to happen. So it may be, you know, this may be moot in some ways. Uh, so that it, it, you know, it may not be, it may not be sort of tested as such in the court right. of public yeah. opinion. So, and I think they didn't want to be sort of left behind really on this issue. I mean, the backdrop to this, of course, is that nearly Scotland voted to stay in the EU by almost by almost two to one. So you know, there are calculations about the SNP and Yes movement support, but actually the country as a whole is pretty much. Um, is, is quite supportive of the second EU referendum, um, and so from that point of view, she's onto a bit of a winner. And certainly, um, speaking to you know, various ministers and senior people in the, the SNP, they were all you know, very, very comfortable with um, the party's change of position. So I don't think I didn't pick up any sense that there was um, any rancour within the party and, and, at, and at senior levels. I think they're, they're fairly united mm. on that. And then the third issue, I think, um, is that, you know, she made um, in her speech yesterday some really strong defence of her uh, domestic record, particularly playing to um, left-wing, probably kind of Corbyn-type supporters in Scotland, thinking about changes to the tax system, uh, which were tweaked in Scotland, the income tax system, which were tweaked in Scotland last year, um, and are now different from the rest of the UK, uh, talking about the benefits of having nationalised utilities, water and so forth, which are nationalised in Scotland. So there was a real play to that as well. And there was quite a long section in her speech um, that was clearly aimed at uh, potential Labour and Corbyn supporters um, ahead of, well, what might be another general election, I suppose, but certainly ahead of um, the next uh, Holyrood Scottish Parliament elections sure. in 2021. That's going to be so a I think really... they're, the, they're the three things. Yeah, that's going to be a really interesting dynamic, which, which I think we'll come back to later in this episode. But um, sure. before we get on to the, uh, the sort of potential of a general election, uh, Westminster general mm-hmm. election, um, what about the the polls on independence? It seems like there was a glut of polls that came out maybe the weekend before uh, the SNP conference, obviously times for that reason. Um, are we of seeing course. a move in favour of independence that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, as usual, where you know it's feast or famine. We've gone for we, we've gone quite a while without one, and then um, three come along at the same time. Um, well, to answer the question in, in a straight way, no. When, I mean, we're not we're not seeing a move uh, at all. So there were three polls uh, timed over the weekend: two by observation, one telephone poll, one online poll, and a panel-based online poll as well. Um, and once uh, don't don't those have been removed. Support for independence was anywhere between 44 and 47 percent um, in those three polls. So 44, 46, and 47. So not huge differences. And of course, um, pretty much in line with where we were um, four years ago, just over four years ago, when we had when we had the referendum. So. Um, in in summary, not a whole load has changed on the surface. Of course, under the surface, some things have changed. 
um, not least in connection with, with, with Brexit. But um, the effect of those changes is basically to neutralise movement in one direction with uh, movement in the other. So approximately uh, 10% of no voters from 2014 uh, say they would now vote yes. They're predominantly people who voted Remain uh, in 2016. And about the same proportion of yes voters from 2014 would now vote no. Uh, and they are predominantly uh, lead supporters um, from 2016. So um, the, the net effect of all that um, is really to um, is really to find ourselves in pretty much the same position we have been for the last yeah. for the last four years. So the polls suggest a majority still oppose independence, and I guess people can debate yeah. what the what the scale of that majority is. Um, I know we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but but for the benefit of listeners that maybe haven't heard um, our previous discussions, what is it? What, who is it that's um, not towing the party line of I voted Remain and therefore I'm going to vote uh, yes? Because I think the narrative coming out um, after the um, EU referendum was that well, Scotland was two thirds Remain, that's going to inevitably lead to independence. But clearly, it's it, at least in the polls at the moment, and we can discuss in a minute whether that's going to change. Um, it's a majority against independence. So presumably there are some Remainers that are against independence. I mean, do we know much about those people? Oh yeah, and, and the majority of Remainers are still uh, are still against uh, are still against independence. Um, and and really, what's happened is that at this stage, and of course everything is caveated with at this stage, and we can we can come on and talk about some of the, the more speculative questions hmm. um, that are you know I, I know neither of us particularly like those, but nonetheless. Um, worth a, worth a quick discussion at least I think but yeah m- most remain supporters are still um, in you know in favor of the UK um, and I suppose I mean I listen to your your, your podcast all the time I know you are um, you're very much of the view as I am that uh, attitudes more broadly to, to, to brexit across the UK haven't changed massively they've changed a little bit over the last couple of years but they haven't changed no these aren't significant changes. So perhaps we shouldn't be too surprised uh, that at this stage, at least Brexit isn't, um, you know, isn't the catalyst that everyone thought it might be um, in the early sort of weeks and months after the after the EU vote. Yes, I'm looking at a salvation poll and just to put, um, this is just one I picked out at random, the one they did for the SNP. Um, mm. The Leave Remain numbers on the question of independence, uh, I think it's uh, 52 48 against independence among mm-hmm. remainers mm-hmm. um yep. but among leavers it's uh 66 33 it's basically. about two to one yeah, and yeah i suppose remainers right. remainers are obviously going to be closer to what the country is in scotland because there's more of them right yeah no exactly so they they pretty much reflect um <clears throat> the uh the overall the overall position now of course when we move on and i know you've had these discussions on other questions on the podcast but the hypotheticals of you know, how would you change on the independence question if the UK leaves or if the UK leaves uh, with in, uh, under a no-deal scenario? And, of course, this is where, you know, speaker after speaker at SNP conference, including very, you know, including cabinet ministers and so forth, um, trotted out these lines over the course of this week. And the line very much was, you know, these are historically high levels of, of support for independence, which... Yeah. Uh, I would I would sort of beg to differ, but you know that's what that's what past conferences are about. But uh, one of the salvation polls asked, you know, uh, how would you vote uh, if the UK leaves the EU as planned? 
um, and it becomes it, it becomes fifty fifty. So it becomes yes fifty, no fifty, um, and there is, as you would expect, much more movement from uh, no voters to supporting yes as yes voters to, to supporting no, and that's obviously the case because we're we're a fifty fifty scenario. And then the one that was the the one that was uh, uh, trumpeted um, hugely at conference was uh, if the UK leaves with no deal, um, which uh, surprise surprise not really surprise surprise, but anyway, uh, yes becomes 52 and no 48. So um, hence all the chat from uh, from the SNP conference that you know a no deal uh, scenario would um, push voters in Scotland in favour of. Uh, in favour of independence. Now, these numbers are so are so close um, that you and I know that they're you know they're, they're kind of marginal differences. And I guess while the, the the SNP leadership were keen to trumpet these findings, it in no way uh, gives them any sense of confidence that calling a calling another referendum now would um, that would produce the right results from their point of view. Yes, and I think we've talked on this podcast, as you alluded to, about hypothetical questions. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm maybe less of a cynic than I come across. I mean, I, of this. <laughs> I, I think, yeah. well, look, I mean, I think that, that for lots of reasons, hypotheticals are difficult. Um, it's, I mean, probably the simplest reason to say that is because when someone goes to vote in a next uh, independence referendum, um, if, that, if that should happen, and I sort of assume that one will come one day, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Then it's not the only issue they're going to be. Th- you know, Brexit is not going to be the only issue that they think about, is it? So, yeah. it's a very yeah. artificial. It's a very, and this is mainly for the listeners' benefit. I mean, it's a very artificial survey environment. You're asking people to predict their future behaviour, and we know for lots of reasons in a survey environment, irrespective of Scotland and independence, yeah. pe- people are typically not great at predicting their. Uh, future behaviour in different scenarios, right? So we often pollsters yeah. have to kind of extrapolate that for them, uh, yeah. which is why they do a lot of work uh, with varying success in voting intention polls to try and do that. You know, removing the don't yeah, knows no, no. or yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I, I, don't, I know you I, know this, Mark, but I just, it's, it's with benefit, yeah, yeah. benefit of listeners, really. Um, but at the same time, but it's, it, but it's worth it's worth just saying quickly. I think on that uh, on those where the movement comes from in those hypotheticals that comes entirely from Remain voters. And it doesn't come at all from Brexit voters, and this will give the SNP some comfort, I think. Yeah. So that's... when you ask when you ask um, those hypotheticals, and you look at the breakdowns between the main and Leave voters, um, when you ask a straight independence question, you get forty-seven percent yes, fifty-three percent no, and when you uh, and that same breakdown on the Leave with no deal hypothetical, you get fifty-six percent yes, forty-four percent no amongst leave voters but the the difference between um asking a straight independence question amongst leave voters which produces 35 yes 65 no becomes only 34 yes 66 no um if we leave uh, without a deal so it has pretty much zero effect on uh, leave voters but it has um quite a profound effect i would argue on on the main voters. which makes, and which makes sense, yes, right? I mean, yeah, that, 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 it does make, and it it does make sense, yeah. And I think that's one. That's what I was kind of get to was like, okay, so it's difficult to say. So I, I wrote a blog on this, which you may or may not have seen, and listeners may or may not yeah. have seen on, on Northern Ireland uh, on a very similar question. Yeah, I think it was I Delta did. Poll yeah. that were doing polling on that, and I, I did say, look, this is 
really hypothetical. I don't think you can use this as evidence that Northern Ireland, there will definitely be a united Ireland. But what it does at least show is that there are there are groups of people who you might expect that would at least consider it uh, in, in that yeah. circumstance. And that's, you know, whether it happens or not is a different question. But at least this poll does show that there are some Remainers in Scotland that might reconsider the independence question. Yes, and, and, and if you're on the SNP um, in the pro-independence side of this argument and you're... Um, you're heartened by these findings in two ways. One, one because it shows, as you say, the potential for movement, that Brexit could move at the polls ultimately on the independent question. Uh, and I think it reinforces the point that, you know, going too early on this uh, second independence referendum would be a big mistake. Mm. These numbers are, they are changes, but they're potential rather than actual. And, you know, there are a whole host of reasons why we're not going to have another independence referendum in the next couple of years. Uh, but the polls are, despite these figures, they are at the forefront of those uh, of those reasons. I mean, so, of course, so, the UK government would never sanction it anyway. But uh, nonetheless, the polling is absolutely key. I think in um, the first minister's thinking that now wouldn't be a good uh, wouldn't be a good time to um, to push for another vote. Sure. And I suppose that all of this, all the message I'm picking up um, suggests that any future second referendum on independence would be after the next Scottish Parliament elections. Um, yeah. do, do the polls suggest that um, Sturgeon and the SNP will still have a majority, though, still have the ability to actually get that through the Scottish Parliament? One would assume so, but is that inevitable? Yeah, it was, I mean, it's not inevitable. And this is where that strategy, which I have to say I agree with uh, as well, but it appears to be appears to be her strategy. I think it's a smart strategy. I think you wait till you, you, pretty much what she's done, um, subtly kind of drop it, um, wait till 2021, so another two, two and a half years, and campaign on, um, on, a, you know, on a ticket, as the SNP always, always do anyway, on a ticket of a second uh, of independence and a second referendum, and basically on the slogan that a campaign for the, a vote for the SNP is a vote for another referendum i think brexit should be a bit clearer at least um by then and i think it would allow the sort of it would give the the yes uh, you know the 45 percent ish of of scots a kind of rallying call around um around which to around which to gather and unite and of course 45 percent while it doesn't um give you a majority in a binary referendum it sure as hell gives you a majority in um uh, a Holly, uh, in, in the Hollywood Parliament. So, where are we at with with, with polling at the moment? Well, I, I, I took a just a, a, a very crude average of the three um, of the three polls that were done over the weekend um, that I mentioned earlier, and the SNP. I mean, on the constituency vote, remembering of course that the Holyrood Parliament is uh, proportional representation, so we get constituencies like in the UK, but we also have top up uh, seats for the regions. For the constituency vote, the SNP is at 43%, the Tories are at 24%, Labour at 23%, um, and the Lib Dems at 8 um, And on the regional vote, uh, the SNP are at 36%, Labour at 22%, the Tories at 24%, the Lib Dems at 8 and the Greens at 7 And the net effect of that, for what it's worth at this stage, on a, on a sort of... Uh, crude uniform swing model is that the SNP would would lose three seats and the Greens would lose two seats. 
So there would not be, um, we would be just shy of what's called up here an independence majority um, in the Scottish Parliament. There would be 64 SNP stroke uh, Green uh, MSPs, which would be um, just shy of, uh, uh, of what they need to have an independence majority. I think the important thing, however, is that, you know, another SNP led government um, is at this stage, Absolutely, you know, this would be the fourth, the fourth in a row. Um, at this stage, it looks like a, a fair bet. The issue is whether it will be a majority government or a majority with the Greens, which is important because the first stage of having another um, independence referendum is having a majority of MSPs in the Edinburgh Parliament, which would support having another referendum. It just shows why the, the strategy isn't risk-free, right? I mean, it's, it's not just... Yeah, yeah. A... So, no, absolutely. It's <clears> absolutely not risk-free. I mean, my argument would be that... Uh, I know it's a different type of election, but analysis, when I looked at the 2017 um, loss of MP suffered between 2015 and 2017, it lost nearly... The party lost nearly half a million votes, um, which in, in Scottish terms is, is quite a lot. Um but most of those votes, about 70% of those votes, were lost to uh, abstentions. They weren't lost to other parties. Now, that to me is quite telling. And I guess if I was, um, if I was, you know, in the SNP and sort of strategising about um, how to how to go about 2021, one of the things I would really consider would be, well, you know, why did these people stay at home in 2017? And it's probably because we seemed uh, we've seemed a long way for another independence referendum and therefore, you know, one way possibly of getting those people back, not just not just back in the voting booth, but back in the voting booth voting SNP would be to you know, to make a virtue of having another independence referendum within the lifetime of the next parliament. Mm. So I, I think for those reasons that's probably a smart um a smart strategy. Um and I think anyway you can't push for it before 2021 for the reasons um, that we talked about, and she's you know she's running out of road anyway in terms of in terms of getting it done before uh, before then. So that would seem to me the strategy that would work, and would seem to me the strategy that they are deploying. But you're right, the risk is that they don't secure the majority uh, in 2021, and um, you know the issue slides off the table as a mm. result. Let's uh, let's wrap up last sort of five minutes or so uh, talking about sort sure. of Westminster. I mean, one of the things I said in the yeah. introduction, um, I, I did want to focus on the independence question today, though. But one of the things I said in the introduction was, um, you know, that it's underappreciated in Westminster the fact that the Tories are still in power because of their performance in Scotland. And, and I know in 2017, yeah. I mean, and I know obviously um, Scotland has what is it? Is it 59 MPs? Yep, fifty nine MPs. Just wanted to check. Yep. Uh, don't yeah, want yeah. to get that. Don't get that one wrong. Um, but yeah, they're for fifty nine MPs. So obviously, by by virtue of maths, fifty nine MPs are always going to be important. But at the same time, I think that in for decades they were kind of almost, although not universally, of course, almost just put in the Labour column. Um, yep. Obviously, not universally. But there's been a lot of flux in the last uh, couple of general elections. I think it's fair to say. And um, yep. yeah, Ruth Davidson's Conservative Party's performance is what you know keeps the Tories in power in Westminster. So, what yep. do you see in the Westminster voting intention polls? And I, I guess related to that, I mean, what what does Ruth Davidson and the Tories have to do in Scotland to try and keep a hold of some of those seats? Because they're not exactly. Um, 
in a position where they can afford to lose any next time. And if they lose whatever they lose in Scotland, they've got to gain elsewhere. Exactly. I think that's a very. I think that's a very good point. And the the most recent um, the most recent Westminster polls, which were the same three. I mean, uh, fortuitously uh, for us, all three polls asked about both Westminster and Holyrood. So there's plenty of data to to aim at. I, I mean, broadly they show the Tories pretty much holding on to where they were a year ago. So they got 29% of the vote in uh, 2017, and as you say, that got them um, that got them 12 extra 12 extra MPs. So they they went from one to uh, to 13. Um, the polling, the average of the three, puts them at 27%, uh, which kind of very uh, crudely would mean they lost one. But, you know, they're there or thereabouts where they were in 2017. So if there was a, an election called uh, fairly soon, one would expect at this stage anyway that they would roughly do the same as they did um, as they did uh, last year. So, um, but I, I think what would be what would be slightly frustrating for Ruth Davidson, if I'm honest, is that I think they probably thought that this was the start of something um, much more significant. And it has not, you know, it has not been the case. Um, as, with, as with, you know, support and opposition to independence, at Westminster, the voting intention remains pretty much where it was, um, as it does in the rest of the UK, I have to say. Uh, as it you know as it was in 2017. So the SNP got 37 in 2017, and now on an average of 38. Always 29 to 27. As we talked about, Labour um, have uh, got 27, and an average of 26 at the moment, and the Lib Dems are on seven, which is where they were. So it, the, the net effect is that nothing really has changed very much in Westminster voting intentions, and I would argue at least at the moment that it's the SNP for the EB. It would probably be most happy with that. One, because you know they're in government and they've been in government for 11 years, and they do not seem to be hemorrhaging support in the way that you know some governments do when they have been in power uh, for so long. And you know the, the second reason, obviously, is because if there were another election, they would um, they would hoover up. Well, on this, they would hoover up probably another four or five seats and be up to sort of 40 again. It's interesting. I, I think, yeah. Cool. I was going to say it's, inter- it's interesting to me that these debates about Brexit don't seem to have hurt the Tory vote uh, in Scotland. I mean, I suppose it's a uni- um, a unionist, maybe quite Levy yeah. vote anyway. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it, it is maybe with, I have one eye eyebrow raised uh, that it's it's not it hasn't fallen a bit. I mean, let's finish on Labour though. So I mean, what I say about the Tories, the reverse is true for Labour, of course. If Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party does better in Scotland next time, that could give him the keys to Downing Street. Um, uh-huh. But but at the same time, Labour has a a tricky um, sort of course to navigate in Scotland, doesn't it? Because it's obviously not pro-independence, um, but it's trying to be the progressive force. So, so it's almost like a progressive unionist force. And there's probably yeah. a lot of well, there are a lot of people that vote SNP that once upon a time voted Labour. So I mean, how yeah. how much inroads can it make, or or, or is, it, is there a ceiling because of the independence question? Do you think? Well, I I, I mean, I think there is. I, I think the Labour position is really um, really quite interesting. It, it may not have made too much news down there, but the the Scottish Labour leader Richard Leonard uh, had a reshuffle last week, um, sacked two of his most high-profile shadow cabinet um, shadow cabinet members um, on the economy and on health, 
both of whom were on the sort of more Blairite wing of the party, um, and replaced them with uh, replaced them with people who were much more on his wing, on the on the sort of Corbyn wing of the party. Uh, that was um, that was quite a surprise. It was handled very poorly, uh, and uh, I think it talks to a sort of bigger crisis within the Labour Party in Scotland. Uh, you know, for what it's worth. Labour won uh, seven seats, six extra seats, and seven seats in total in twenty uh, in twenty seventeen. Uh, in most of its gains, it, it it came through the middle, so it benefited from um, a rise in uh, support for the Tories in those constituencies. So they didn't Labour didn't always put on a huge number of votes, um, but because there was a bit of a, a bit of a collapse of SNP um, support and a bit of a rise in Tory support, Labour came came through the middle. So I, I sort of think in some ways that the the result, you know, getting the extra six MPs um, in Scotland last year gave a little bit of a false prospectus on any Labour recovery. Of course, it's very important to get extra, uh, get extra MPs, but I don't think it really signalled a huge, a huge kind of breakthrough and the kind of carbonisation of Scotland in a way that um, in a way that was suggested at the time. I think, however, um, the First Minister and the SNP are very wary of, you know, what you see down there uh, in, in, in UK-wide polls, which is the, the kind of policy platform of Corbyn and its sort of mass popularity or its popularity, mm. um, which is why she was at great pains yesterday in her speech to, to single Corbyn out and say, you know, if you're interested in progressive policy, you know, we're already doing it. We're already taxing rich people more. We've already got nationalising schools, et cetera, et cetera. She's very much, um, you know, I think she accused him of just copying, you know, SMP out of the SMP playbook or something at the beginning of the speech, you know, which, you know, there's an argument to say that's true. But, you know, that, that I think highlights that they do see um, Corbyn as a risk and that policy, policy platform as a risk. Is, uh... But for Labour, the, the, the Constitution will always be an issue. A third of Labour voters in the polls this week, show is, they show a third of Labour voters would back a yes vote. That's not that unusual. Um, and, you know, the story, one of the stories of the 2014 independence referendum was that Labour was lost and has been since because you've got one party, you know, vehemently pro-union, i.e. the Tories, and one party vehemently pro-independence, which is the SNP, and Labour have suffered hugely as a result of that because that is the thought line upon which our attitudes and our politics are still um, are still divided. So it, it, it appears to me, at least, that, that Labour will continue um, to be in the doldrums in Scotland uh, while that is the case. Easy to forget where they've come from, of course. Um, that's all we've got time for. Yeah, Mark exactly. Diffley, uh, thank you very much for your time. No worries. Thanks very much, Kieran. Nice to speak to you. That was Mark Diffley there. Big thanks to Mark for joining us um, on the podcast this week. Um, we went longer than I expected, but in a good way. Um, there's certainly lots to lots to chew over on the um, on, on Scottish politics. So many different dynamics. I and mean, every time I, I delve into um, Scottish politics, and I wouldn't profess to be a, an expert myself, which is why which is why Mark's on, um, you know, it always strikes me how many different competing dynamics there are. And the way we finished there with the Labour Party just really showed that, you know, 
you've got this progressive tradition, um, very much a distinct Scottish tradition in terms of politics, but at the same time, it's interwoven with this question of the constitutional um, status of the country. And then you've got this, which creates this kind of three-party system, which is quite, unu feels unusual. Uh, I mean, maybe Wales is similar, but not, I don't really think so. I mean, the Tories certainly, it, I always uh, have to be reminded that the Tories are on sort of 29, 30% uh, in some elections, in, in um, or certainly the mid to upper twenties in Scotland, which um, is not necessarily the um, the image you're given when when you talk about uh, the Conservative Party and, and and Scotland. And finally, on the I mean, on the SNP, there is this really interesting uh, strategic question about you know calling that second referendum on independence. Um, what happens if 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 the SNP lose it? What does that mean for? For Nicola Sturgeon, you know, does she resign in that in that situation? Is is the is her replacement um, as competent and as clearly as effective as as she clearly is? These are big questions. Um, you know, the SNP have got a very strong position in Scotland, of course, um, but that doesn't mean doesn't mean that um, independence is inevitable. At the same time, um, I think if you're a unionist, you ought to be you ought to be worried. Um, in my opinion, I think the conditions are there with Brexit. If it goes the wrong way. If it's very disorderly, um, the conditions are there for people, some people at least, the polls say, to reconsider their, their their support for the union. And we've talked about that on this podcast in Northern Ireland. We've talked about it for Scotland. And just as an outsider who's, who's not a conservative personally, it does surprise me that Theresa May doesn't make more of this. I mean, she does talk about the union, but she doesn't seem to make preserving the union front and centre of her um, of, of her Brexit policy. I mean, bear in mind the... It is the Conservative and Unionist Party, after all. Um, but she seems to nod to it without making, making it part, uh, a sort of a core part of her offer on Brexit. Maybe it's because uh, the modern Conservative Party and modern Conservative Brexit voters aren't as bothered as they maybe once were. Um, anyway, lots to chew over in the coming weeks and months as we enter the business end of Brexit negotiations. That's all for this week's uh, podcast. If you like what you hear, please, as usual, share us on social media, tell a friend about us, give us a positive rating or comment on iTunes and other podcast apps. We all do it. We do it for the love of the love of the beast, as it were. We don't get any money out of this or any advertising or anything like that, and we don't plan to. Um, but anything you can do to uh, spread the word is very much appreciated as we still get new listeners even uh, to this day. But for now, thanks for listening and stay tuned for more episodes of the Political Betting Polling Matters podcast in the coming weeks.